BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this first Tuesday, August 1st, starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back a great guest, a great friend of the show, and a great friend of the teachers union, CTU president, Stacy Davis-Gates. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink. It's all up there. ChicagoReader.com. And if you want more from Ben Jarofsky, just slide on over. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-B is in victory. S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarowski here. We're calling this 54% Tuesday, and here's why. I'm going to try to focus on what I have to say, but I'm feeling very self-conscious right now. People, my distinguished guest who's waiting to come on, made fun of my shirt. Okay, And I realized this shirt that I'm wearing is very make-funnable. And I asked my distinguished guest, can I, could you just put up with me while I go run and change my shirt? And she said, no, you got to wear that shirt. <laughs> gonna have to wear that shirt oh lord ladies and gentlemen i feel like back in high school when i show up you know at school wearing something that looks weird and first person me, where'd you get that shirt anyway all right i'll focus on the news of the day so much to talk about 54 percent alludes to the number that donald trump had in the latest poll of Republican voters. And this conversation with the great Stacey Davis Gates is probably going to concentrate mostly on Chicago issues. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, Chicago is in Illinois, Illinois is in the United States of America. So we're like a subset of this larger, insane system we're in. 54% of Republicans in polls say they plan to vote for Donald John Trump to be their nominee to go up against Joe Biden. Ron DeSantis, who's utterly insane, just every day brings more evidence of his insanity, is at 27%. So that means that if I could do the math, and hold on, Stacy, I was not great at math, 81%, how about that, Stacy? 81% of the Republican Party is dedicated to Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. Here's the latest from Donald Trump at a rally in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, and this man has been free to say whatever he wants for so long that he says absolutely anything, even if it makes no sense. Uh, and he just seems to get more popular in the polls. At, at rallies, Donald Trump has tried to frame the charges. Yes, he's facing indictment or has been indicted in four separate courts throughout the country from everything from an insurrection or an attempted coup to uh, taking classified documents and then threatening to destroy the evidence uh, so that he. That he, that he took the documents. Uh, at rallies, Trump has tried to frame the charges which come with serious threats of jail time as an attack, not just on him, 
but those who support him. And here's the quote from Donald Trump from his rally this weekend in Erie, Pennsylvania. Quote, they're not indicting me. They're indicting you. I just happen to be standing in the way. Every time the radical left Democrats, Marxists, communists, and fascists indict me, I consider it actually a great badge of honor because I'm being indicted for you. What a weird trip he's on, obviously. But what a riff, Stacey Davis Gates. Radical left Democrats, Marxists, communists, and fascists. Donald, you're the fascist. I mean, we were speaking broad strokes. You feel like every bad thing in the universe you put on the other side of the table. Radical left Democrats, Marxists, communists, and fascists. Wow. Without further ado, the president of the Chicago Teachers Union, Stacey Davis Gates. Welcome back, Stacey. Hey there. How are you? I'm doing well, uh, despite the fact that I'm wearing a T-shirt that I, got, I was made fun of for my T-shirt. And I'm just struggling with that right now. You're not. You were. You should have been struggling before you put it on. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, one time Stacy Davis Gates gave me a ride. This is a true story. I'll never forget this until my brain shuts down. She knows where I'm going with this. From the old radio station where I used to work, I can't remember the name of it. I think it was W. You're fired, Ben. Uh, to I had to go to the Reader headquarters, which is was on um, in Bronzeville. And Stacy was my last guest. I don't know if you remember to Stacy yet. And you drove me. Remember, you drove me to Bronzeville. We got we we spent like forty five minutes an hour in the car. And while I was there, I was eating my sandwich. It's like every day, my wife made a sandwich for me. And you guy, like, you're like a little old teacher from a high school <laughs> in Chicago eating his sandwich. You remember that, Stacy? It was an elementary school. Oh, was it? You said I was from an elementary school. Oh, because elementary school teachers, and I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I always experience elementary school teachers way more organized and <laughs> than I do high school educators. I do. Yeah. Um, uh, Jen Johnson, um, now the deputy mayor um, of education and human services, will probably you know call me and say, "No, I'm I'm highly organized," but. It's typically a trait that I experience in elementary school teachers. Especially, wasn't your sandwich cut in half too? Yes, <laughs> it's cut in half. I love it when it's cut in half, and then I can eat it like little bites because it was so tasty and it lasts longer. It's like the way I used to eat pop tarts. By the way, Jen Johnson, former teacher at Lincoln Park High School, a lot of people don't always, know. Always a teacher. Yeah, well, but she used to literally be a teacher at Lincoln Park High School. All yes. right. Teacher, Ben, you can't take that away from us. No, I'm not taking away from the fact that, like, in the most generic sense, she will always be a teacher. I'm just saying she was literally a teacher. Okay. This is the kind of conversation I had with Stacey in the car. Every little point disputed and corrected. My point being, she's a teacher. Yeah. And you're a journalist. You do that too. You know what you should have said? You were cultivating a source. You weren't just getting a ride. Right. I was being practical. I was hitching around. Please, Stacy, please. I don't know how I was going to get there if you didn't drive me. I don't know either. I don't know either. I would have taken public transportation. would have taken a lot longer. All right. Tonight, uh, we were doing a first Tuesday at Blanc Gallery at 4445 South King Drive. We'll be talking about public education. We'll be talking about the future of uh, it's like a new school year. So it's like a new CPS. It's a new mayor. It's a new school board. 
the new school year. We'll have uh, Ling Young will be there, who is uh, Jeanette Taylor is one of her eight assistants at, at the Education Committee. Uh, Megan Franklin will be there, a Woodland Academy uh, parent uh, who's dealing with special ed issues uh, with public education. And one of Stacey's favorite people, Moise Bawani, will be there. A CPS high school teacher. No, he's a CTU member and CPS high school teacher because you wouldn't know him if he was just a CPS teacher. You know him because he's a CTU member. That is correct. And he's also, and he's, I don't know if you know this, a hell of a softball player. Uh, and um, his team, the 50th War team, lost to the 12th. Did you know that the lefties of Chicago have organized a softball team? The last people in the world I think would be athletic are lefties. Uh, and but they have their own. The, the jury is still out. I haven't seen a game. I just see pictures. <laughs> Wait, the jury is still out on whether there's any <laughs> athletic lefties in the city of Chicago. They're saying that they're athletic. I've not seen evidence of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and because I don't even have a schedule, I'm gonna say that they're hiding. <laughs> Well, there's, I saw, Mui sent me a video of himself hitting the ball. He crushed this ball. And okay. also is very good at computer technology stuff. So you don't know what you were watching. Was that, that a I, I mean, I'm just saying, I have to see evidence in real time. Uh, anyway, so what question do you want to be heard addressed tonight? We're talking about, go ahead. I don't I don't have a lot of questions right now um, th that should be addressed. I, you know what I want for us in this moment as a city is for us to take a collective deep breath and understand the opportunity that we have before us and assess what our responsibility is in it. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been spending a lot of time doing <clears throat> since April, number one is lamenting the loss a very like transformative leaders from the Chicago Teachers Union um, to the city of Chicago. Um, you know, everyone else is having an experience um, with the new mayor. I'm having an experience where I've lost, you know, perhaps my closest partner in this work because um, he's mayor now. <laughs> and, you know, that is a loss, you know, and you feel it like you feel lost. And then number two, Jen Johnson isn't here and she took care of our institution and she took care of my leadership here and you miss that. So um, I've had the experience of seeing this um, from the perspective of knowing two people who are intensely committed to justice, put in a role to bring about transformation in a place that is just as stubborn as they get, segregated as they get, and, and have no real muscle for the type of transformation that is necessary for our survival. Um, and so let me put this into like some buckets. Number one, you talked about Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. They are both in a competition um, to win circus clown for four years, like literally a competition in who can behave in the most ridiculous manner and who can say the most incendiary statements and who can bring out as many whistles as they can to call the dogs in, right? 
that's what we are watching um, from the GOP side. From the Democratic side, they're trying to figure out how to mitigate making the tent not bigger, but making it more accountable to the people who keep the tent standing up straight. If Black women and Black people in general are not focused in on doing the thing in the fall of 24, our democracy goes away. And you don't just tell people you need, you get what you can take from it or you get what I give you. You actually got to create a program for them. And it can't just be like, if you don't vote for us, Donald Trump coming back. Yes, he's scary. Yes, he's dangerous. And again, what do those voters get? You're going to need young people to vote. And I don't know any young person that is on a precipice of graduation or have graduated in the last maybe five to six years who are happy with the prospects of their adulthood. So how do you get these two groups that the party needs to activate in a way that's going to blunt the ridiculousness coming from Don and Ron. That's their names, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a comedy show, a bad one, right? So that that's a bucket. And then you have a bucket here in Chicago. Look, we have done some of the most transformational political work this century has seen. So like, let that sit for a minute. If D.C. is Hollywood, then Chicago is Broadway. We are still top tier, top billing when it comes to the American politic. So in Chicago, (laughs) people like Moise Bouwani, right? People like Kennedy Bartley have helped transform a space where a Black man speaking in a progressive language can connect the liberation of his people to that of the labor movement and win in Chicago. Do you know how groundbreaking that is and how inspirational and at the same time, how scary that is for the establishment? I don't care if it's red or blue, right? That a black man can galvanize a multiracial, multi-generational movement, captivate the attention of young people, right? Because if you look at the number of people who voted in April that did not vote in February and the age group in which they came from, those are young folks, right? And so there was something about his leadership, his voice, his perspective, his politics, his values, his presentation that captivated them. This is a big deal. And it was anchored by Black labor. So think about all of this, a multiracial, multigenerational, a Black man who was raised by preachers, right, who subscribes to left ideology that was anchored in his run by Black labor leaders who are doing some very courageous and dynamic work. Shouts out to healthcare, whose workers are on strike right now because they were heroes when you needed them. And now they're just 
grimy beggars when you don't need them. So shout out, not just to the leadership of that union, though we need them to be strong and clear, and to those workers who are Black, who live on the west side of Chicago, who live on the south side of Chicago, who are drawing a line in the sand. That's the type of leadership that propelled Brandon Johnson to the fifth floor of Chicago. Now you think about what happens everywhere else in this country where you have a similar constellation in that city or county or state. And this example, we didn't play by their rules. We knew enough to organize for the type of world we wanted to see. And we did it over time. And we did it because we could resource it, see labor. So you mean to tell me Black people can get liberated with labor? You mean to tell me that Black people can actually run labor unions and write those checks? You're telling me that the liberation of Americans can come through the liberation of Black people, right? So you you were asking me before we started, have I seen Barbie yet? No, but I read an interesting column by in the, in the Tribune that basically says to us that Barbie didn't just want her liberation. She wanted liberation for all of us. That is quintessentially Black liberation theology. Like if I get free, you get free. That's what Mayor Johnson is talking about. So now you got that bucket. What happened here in Chicago? And so then you have this other bucket that I see also here in Chicago, but it's not just particular to Chicago, is the power that we have on the left side of things that we give back because we don't want the struggle of gray area where the decisions and the terms of the debate are complicated, um, where the decisions in the term of the debate um, are complex, right? And where you actually get to have an answer to the question or a solution to the problem or a management technique over the dilemma. Like that is our responsibility now. So we have these three buckets and those are the three buckets I'm living in right now. All right, wow, a lot to follow up on. And I'm gonna start, uh, we got the responsibility one uh, because yes, uh, the, the labor movement in Chicago uh, is, is in the fifth floor right now. So that's drastic change uh, from where we were in Chicago when Stacey Davis case first moved here or became uh, political legislator uh, director for uh, the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, let's talk to something you said about the presence of Brandon Johnson in the fifth floor as being very scary uh, to a lot of people in the city of Chicago. Uh, and this gets right into a topic that was much discussed on this show about a week ago. Uh, I have not heard your thoughts to this. Uh, so uh, Brandon Johnson's, uh, I have no idea who sent it out. It was a tweet on a Saturday that blew my mind uh, that showed Brandon meeting with uh, Mayor Rahm uh, and uh, having some kind of discussion. Uh, <laughs> I, I have no problem with Brandon Johnson. I just want to get this. I said this a million times, meeting with Mayor Rahm. Mayor Rahm's dying to meet with Brandon Johnson for whatever reason to rehabilitate his career. I uh, get ready for a Senate campaign to come. Uh, 
you know, Brandon wants to meet with them. That's fine. It was the messaging that they put out that really irritated me where they said they thanked uh, uh, Mayor Rahm for his continued leadership. And uh, Brandon Johnson's entire political movement into a large degree developed out of opposition to the leadership of Mayor Rahm. Uh, from mental health clinic closings to school closings to uh, unfair TIF deals, et cetera, and so forth. You know it well because you were part of it all. Uh, so I thought it does a disservice to history to give Rahm that bomb. And uh, the pushback I've gotten from many uh, strategists has been, Ben, you don't understand how the game is played, uh, that uh, Brandon Johnson has scaring people, has just people. So what he needs to do is to calm the rhetoric. So by meeting with Rom and sending out that love poem to Rom, uh, his Rom supporters uh, in the city will have a more measured attitude about uh, Brandon. Go ahead. That's the, I, I think that the pundits got it wrong. I think that your reaction was like my reaction. Like, look, Brandon is my brother. Like, he's not going to get a more fierce supporter, protector, boost, whatever. That That's my brother. Good luck, y'all. <laughs> Separating that or saying something else. That's because that's on another level. Brandon, his wife, Stacy, I trust them. I trust them with my children. So those are my people. Okay. And look, I'm glad I wasn't the mayor and had to answer the call to meet Mayor Rahm, which is why I told you it was always him, right? Because there is a certain amount of decorum that you have for the seat of mayor, the seat of mayor, not Stacy as mayor, not Ben as mayor, right? but the seat of the mayor and the seat of the mayor requires you to do stuff like that. Now here's where the politics enter in. How do you tell people you just did this? <laughs> Knowing full well that the creep on the other side of that conversation is not doing it because he respects you or he's appreciative of your leadership or your voice resonates with his politics. Like none of that is there. And he's smart enough to understand the seat of the mayor and the way in which he could leverage that and perhaps get something from it. So how do you quarantine his voice and respect the seat of the mayor? See, that's the question. See, that's the complexity of leading. That's the complexity of now having the responsibility of the seat, not just the power, but the seat that you have to preserve. Because once that seat devolves into nothing, then why does anyone want it? Why is it even necessary? You understand what I'm saying? All of those questions, you know, become um, more amplified. So here's my thing. Of course, ugh, rhyme, whatever. I did the same thing to Karen. So let's not forget this. Karen had to meet with Rom after all the battles and they did meet and they did, they formed whatever relationship they formed. She ain't here, so I ain't speaking on like the details of that because I cannot and God bless him. He tries to all the time. That being said, exactly. <laughs> um, that being said, 
look, we're in charge of the seat of the mayor. And Brother Brandon's leadership, our mayor was not made because of Rahm Emanuel. His leadership was made through his fidelity to justice. Now, we got to know his leadership because Rahm was such a terrible mayor. See the difference in that perspective? Don't give Rahm credit for making anyone's leadership. Give him credit for doing a piss poor job leading this city and hurting people. Now, he gets that credit, that infamy. But the credit of Brandon's leadership is not connected to how terrible Rahm was. It just isn't. His leadership is connected to his fidelity to the values and to the work that our movement put forth. And that as mayor of the city, he is also responsible for keeping the seat of mayor in a particular esteem and quite frankly, raising it above where it's ever been raised before. Now he'll be the first mayor to provide a legacy of the seat that is grounded in the people of this city and the justice for them. And he'll have a particular, and then the people after him will have a particular type of responsibility because of all of that. But no, don't nobody want to meet with Rom? Of course I wouldn't. Of course I feel a way about that. And he's the mayor of Chicago. There is a responsibility he has to mayor of Chicago. Now, how they talk about it and stuff, look, I, I'm of no help in those situations. <laughs> I, this, I wish they were just honest about it. I mean, I again, I will say this for the 50 millionth time. I have no problem, obviously, with the current mayor meeting with a former mayor. Mm-hmm. And if if that can win any benefit for any ordinary human being in the city of Chicago, I am happy for it. But don't rewrite history. Tom's team, this is me talking to you. Don't rewrite history. Ron was well, a terrible mayor. We're trying to. I, I, I think what that that social media post was <laughs> was an indication that we don't know how to be nice yet, because that was the first attempt. <laughs> You don't have to be nice by giving away the store. Uh, I, just, uh, I think I could. But see, this is the this is the third um, bucket that I'm talking about. The third container I'm talking about, Ben. Like that third container requires us to have a different type of muscle in this moment. That that's the difference, and that's what I don't think people are picking up on. How <laughs> you having interactions with people? who literally treated us like the bottom of their worst pair of shoes. And I am being told to be magnanimous because everyone hates a sore loser. And people often erect the image of Lori Lightfoot and try to like persuade me to be different. And I don't know how comfortable that is for me. So I can only imagine how uncomfortable it is for a lot of us. Look, we are being called to be to behave in a way that exemplifies and redefines leadership in this city. No one in the history of this city outside of Mayor Washington has led in a way that has demonstrated justice for an extended amount of time. I'll go one step further, putting aside politics. 
until Brandon Johnson, I, I mean, there's the greatest of all time, Harold. I'm not comparing anyone to Harold. It's like comparing basketball players to MJ. So, post Harold, our we never had a mayor. We had three of them who treated people with respect, who treated like people they particularly people they opposed. They wouldn't even meet with them. Mayor Rahm, I'm going to remind you of something. I know you know this, but Mayor Rahm, when they, when those activists went on strike for diet school. And there was concern about their health. I know I was concerned about their health. And Randy Wine, uh, what's it? I'm just blanked on Randy's name. I apologize. Yeah, Weingarten, from the the head of the union that uh, uh, Stacy is, wanted to meet with um, Mayor Rahm to talk about it. She couldn't get a meeting with him. The head of the teachers' union in the country, of one of the two largest teachers' unions in the country, Stacey, could not get a meeting with Mayor Rahm. They were trying to go through Pete Cunningham, who's like the le- the liberal whisperer that Rahm would have to whisper to liberals and lefties, okay? That is a disgrace. He wouldn't even meet. Forget meeting with the, the hunger strikers, his disrespect to them. He wouldn't even meet with Randy Weingartner. I mean, what? So, Brandon is the so first. there. Say that again. And he's no longer the mayor. Yeah. what a, That's a he's no longer the mayor. The city didn't get its opportunity to vote him out because he quit before he got booted out. Uh, but he is no longer the mayor. My point is, Brandon just sitting down with Mayor Rahm and showing him that kind of respect and deference uh, to his, his, you know, um, uh, predecessor is so radical for Chicago. Daly never did anything like that. Baby Daly. Never did anything like that. Lori Lightfoot never did anything like that. She, she wouldn't even let you in the room. I knew that was coming next. <laughs> Come on, Lori, let her in the room. She's not a bad person. She gave me a ride once from the northwest side to Bronzeville for crying out loud. Made fun of my sandwiches. <laughs> he made fun of my shirt. You can talk to Stacey Davis Gates, okay? You talk about basketball with her. You can talk about movies. Talk about a lot of things with her, you know, and you can make fun of her for being a Notre Dame fan. The point is, is that, oh, by the way, that Notre Dame sucks. But the point is, is that this is new to have a mayor who treats people with respect. Do you follow what I'm saying? And so it is a radical thing. I just wish he hadn't shown so much respect for Rom. Um, no. I get the trauma of that. Like, and I get it in a personal way. Like 50 school closing is perhaps one of the most traumatic events of my life. One of them, one of them. And it, it you know, people have been remembering um, those 50 school closings cause it's the 10 year anniversary of it. <clears throat> um, and I haven't, it was very hard to try and read um, the series that N- Nader Issa and Sarah Karp uh, put together for WBZ and um, the Sun-Times, um, look, and both of them did their work on that. And the final analysis of it is that everything <laughs> that our movement said it was when it was happening, when it happened and after it happened was the truth. It was the absolute truth. We did not lie. It wasn't hyperbole. It wasn't just organizing and foolish demands. It was the absolute and utter truth. That said, we have to move from that. 
See, that's the like compartment of this that is going to be very difficult for us to do, which is why I try not to like perseverate on that tweet and that photograph. Um, although I did like, you know, Brandon was sitting there like a boss. I, I did like that. Like I did appreciate the fact that he had to sit with our brother and try and rehab his himself. Like that, that's, that's also not lost on me, especially if you're a gamer, you know what I'm saying? Especially if you're a gamer, you get to, could you imagine, um, let me see, let me think of something. No, that's a little too sore. I won't, I won't put it out there like that. But look, when you lose and you got to go sit with the winners, where do they do that? After the basketball game? at the White House, at the award ceremony, during the parade? Like, at what point does the team that lost go and meet with the team that won? That doesn't happen a lot of times. Uh, I will give an example where it sort of happened once, and a shout-out to one of the great coaches, Monty Williams, uh, when his Phoenix Suns lost to the Milwaukee Bucks, went into the Milwaukee Bucks locker room. And Notre, said, Notre Dame. <laughs> I take it all back. <laughs> you talking. talking. Oh God, no, but it's true. He he showed class. He showed a lot of class. He said, We're a better team because we played you. And and then look how he got treated. He got fired. But he got hired, got a nice contract uh with Detroit. So and he's gonna get to coach. A South Bend player. So how about that? All right, I'm going to stick away from basketball. South. Ivy should have yeah. been a Domer, but both his parents were. We keep talking. See how all things are coming back. See how all back. His mother is a national champion yeah. and the coach of the women's basketball team. Hey, I mean, I was. She couldn't get him to go to Notre Dame. What can I tell you? Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Is that? Um, okay, so let's get it back to uh, Chicago and Chicago politics. Uh, the world is changing in ways I never thought uh, imagine in so many fronts. Uh, we talked a lot about now our, how the movement uh, that began in opposition to Rom, led by the great Karen Lewis, uh, 12 years later, <laughs> the son of that movement is the mayor of the city of Chicago, which is pretty amazing to me sometimes. I still can't believe it. This front page picture in the Sun-Times, which I will now show you, uh, is another, can you see that? Can you see it yet? Uh, is another sign of change. An old friend of the uh, Ben Jarofsky show, Troy LaRavier, uh, who got kicked out of his post at Blaine Elementary as principal way back during the ROM years, uh, became the head of the Principals Association uh, and has led them to become a union. Uh, I don't think they've cut a deal official contract with the Board of Education yet. That's coming. Uh, but they are a union. Yeah, but you don't start union by, like, land blasting workers either. Like, he needs a crash course in solidarity. Bless his heart. Well, all right, let me uh, get to so the point. You understand exactly what, she's, what Stacey's alluding to. So the story in the front page of the Sun-Times is about how uh, Troy is uh, leading the charge on behalf of a principal, uh, Abdul Muhammad, uh, who's the former Lynn Bloom Math and Science Academy principal uh, and uh, was bounced from that job. And Troy is a say, uh, saying that uh, the Board of Ed has never uh, 
adequately explain why uh, they fired him from the job and is leading the charge to have him, I guess, reinstated. And he has some pretty powerful political allies. Uh, there's a picture of Reverend Flager. He's part of this group. And uh, Benjamin Crump, uh, the attorney Benjamin Crump, came to Chicago and I guess is representing uh, former Principal Muhammad uh, in that lawsuit. So, all right, um, a principal's union. Principals are the bosses. Just that concept alone, uh, Stacy is one. Management, they've never been the boss. The only boss in Chicago has been the mayor. Um, so I understand the idea of it. But the unionism that we subscribe to at the Chicago Teachers Union involves rank and file, like organizing and leadership. It doesn't happen from the top. Karen was an amplifier for the things that were being organized by rank and file members. She led that, right? Um, that was the vision of the work we're doing. So, you know, this project that they have going, I wish them, you know, all the success. I think workers should be organized. I, I think that there is um, great symmetry, case in point. You know, what I find very interesting about the way in which um, all of the people in that picture that you have there are talking about Black principles. Well, in the continuum of education professionals, they're typically uh, teachers, Black teachers before they're Black principals. So it only makes sense that if you're closing 50 schools where Black children attend and Black communities with Black educators, and you're closing these institutions every single year before that, and you're erecting these privatized options, that at some point your pipeline of Black principles runs dry too, <laughs> right? It only like makes sense that as the pool of potential Black principles narrow, because the pool of black teachers are being narrowed, the pools of black teachers are being narrowed as well, that this is what happens. So again, at what point in Karen Lewis's leadership was that not visible and was that unheard? Because this ain't new. This has been the principal struggle Right. So much so that this union took the Chicago public schools and the mayor of Chicago to court because when they used to turn around schools, they used to fire all the black people in that school, too. Right. And that included the teachers, the black ones and the schools that were turned around were black schools. And we sued. Um, you've heard us say this. We have a joint diversity and equity committee that we negotiated in our last contract that is taking up the issue of recruitment and retention of Black teachers. So Troy's issue actually takes care of itself. If you are saying yes to what Karen Lewis put on the table back in 2010 and 2011. So when people say trust Black women, especially their voice and their leadership, this is the example of that. So think about what the, the message should have been 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and here we are now. And now let's think of what the strategy should be. So Brandon Johnson, mayor of Chicago, organizer of Black teachers within the, 
Chicago Teachers Union who actually debated, fought for, and got the opportunity to make that a headline in the Chicago Teachers Union, which was then amplified outside of our union. You don't think that this man is now your partner in ameliorating these practices? The man who, if you go back into the catalog of our work, was the principal organizer of this. See, this is why I'm living in that third compartment, Ben, because people are not paying attention to what the ecosystem provides us in this moment because of the muscle memory that we have of fighting and demanding. We still gonna have to fight and demand because he ain't the emperor of the world. He's the mayor of Chicago, <laughs> right? So we yeah. still all of that. Uh -huh. <laughs> so we have other things that we can do too. So the question becomes, what strategy for this particular thing? Is this a press conference or is this a, hey, Mr. Mayor, this is our recommendation and let's figure out how to get this done. Because I got to think the black man, because you know he's a black man, the black man with black kids inside of Chicago public schools who was the first organizer in the Chicago Teachers Union to lift up the loss of Black teachers and amplify it in a way that it became a main pillar of our work, he might be interested in this, but I don't know. Well, I think that, uh, speaking for Troy, I don't want to speak for Troy, because Troy is very uh, good at speaking for himself, but when I... And I will bring him on the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to reach out to him, get him on the show. It's been a while since he's been on the show. Uh, but he's acting much like a, a traditional union role, like a bargaining agent. A no. Deal he's rep. he's that acting in a traditional role. That See, this is the thing that I also want to clarify. If that is your best impression of CTU and our leadership, that ain't it. Because once we went prime time, we went prime time with people, with coalition. So, look, our secret sauce ain't a press conference or, um, you know, a notable name or a speech at the Board of Education. Our work was building by building, door by door, neighborhood by neighborhood. Like, this wasn't astroturfy. This was really and truly and a multi-year effort. And so solidarity is something that you build, you earn, you create. It is not something that you get legislated in Springfield. No, I, I, I understand the distinction you're making and I'm making another distinction. So while Karen Lewis uh, and yourself and Jen Johnson, everybody else involved with the Chicago Teachers Union was building a, uh, was working with its allies to build a political movement. There were also field reps, bargaining agents, I don't know what you call them, whose job it was to represent individual teachers who had grievances with the system. And they acted as the, like the mini lawyers for those teachers. That's a role, that's a job, that's a function that a union plays. I remember one of the great shows we ever did at First Tuesday, Karen Lewis on stage with Troy LaRavier. Uh, but I think it was back in 2015. I can't remember anymore. Stacey, it all comes together. And Karen teasing him at the outset. Uh, well, I didn't. She goes, I'm going to have to look at your record to see how many grievances there are against you or something like that. <laughs> Karen was one of the great shit talkers of all time. And um, 
Now he's doing that role. This he's defending a principal who he feels was unfairly fired in the way any union member is that employee they think was unfairly fired. And he's doing it in such a way as to raise a larger issue about uh, black employees uh, in CTS. Our union raises the larger issue of black employees. He is raising the issue of principles and be clear about what that is, which is why I took a lot of care to talk about pipeline. Because it is a both and it is not one or the other. It is a both and. And I'll even raise you this. If if Stacy and Troy are only talking about the workers that are black and not talking about the neighborhoods that they live in or the city that they live in or the county or the state or the country, then we're still missing it is the point that I'm making. Look, union work and solidarity, a very small component of that is a grievance. And let me tell you why. Ben. We are settling grievances that have been on our books for like six years. And I am not exaggerating right now. It took us getting the ability to have the city of Chicago say, you all deserve justice, right? In order for these people to begin giving us a fair shot at even settlement, right? This is not a win. These are settlements. So this idea that you can get something from a very narrow space, from from a very marginal perspective, is ridiculousness. And in this compartment, this bucket, this container that I'm living in, it is that everything has to connect. You got to bring more people into the coalition. You have to speak to a higher level. And you got to deal with the complexity that all of that brings with you. To stay narrow and marginal is to give the city back to people like Rahm Emanuel. And uh, Rahm Emanuel was the one who fired Troy LaRavier way back when. Uh, so let's not forget that. Yeah, I did. Yes, that, that connection. Connection. All right. Uh, maybe one day I'll get you and Troy on the same stage. No, How about <laughs> okay, I got Karen and Troy, but not you and Troy. Uh, all right. Uh, let's talk about the school board. Uh, there's a new uh, school board uh, that Mayor Johnson appointed. Uh, and there was a very interesting article about the old school board that I think uh, was, I think I want to give right the rubber stamp. Yeah, the rubber stamp. One. Who, I want to give the right credit to the right reporter. And I think it was Sarah Carp. Shout out to Sarah Carp. Uh, the rubber stamp school board. And um, Miguel Devay. Uh, former state senator Miguel Devay, who was appointed uh, president of the school board by Mayor Lori Lightfoot, defended that school board, said we are not a rubber stamp. Uh, we gave great thought and consideration to any proposal that came before us, and we did not just routinely back it because the mayor told us to. Um, and then Sarah Karp uh, went in and <laughs> took a look at the statistics and showed like something like, I forget, 90%, 95% of the time they voted with the mayor. Um, so your thoughts about this, do you think it was a rubber stamp? Do you like the idea of a rubber stamp school board? Uh, particularly now that your ally is the mayor of the city of Chicago. Hey, rubber stamp school boards don't look too bad. Your thoughts on rubber stamp school boards. Go ahead. Well, I think, see, again, I, I, I hate to be a broken record, but living in that third compartment, Ben, is, is like literally where I'm living. And let me tell you why, because the term even rubber stamp comes from our movement. 
And, and remember, Grassroots Collaborative used to do an event over at, um, what was it, the Forum? Um, yeah, UIC. Yep. And you used to, you know, we used to go through <laughs> rubber stamp, who is in a rubber stamp. Yeah, I remember that, it. So that, that literally comes from us. It doesn't yeah. come from the Sun-Times. It doesn't come from WBZ. It comes from our movement. So can our movement now use the same information, use it, well, it can use the same information, but can it use the same language and tactics and strategy that it once used? So, so that, that, that is a thing to ponder. But even more so, here's the thing. Is that school board going to disagree with the mayor's vision of having a sustainable community school district? Is that school board going to disagree with making sure that we have fully funded athletics in all of our school communities? Will they disagree with fine arts programs being fully funded? Will they disagree with um, local school councils having actual training and support to do the real work of the school community and evaluating principals, engaging with principals, understanding the budget on a granular level? Like, are we asking a school board to disagree with the school Chicago students deserve? That becomes the question. The question is not whether or not they get to repurpose our activism and make it their headline, or if we get to say, this is what we need and we have an expectation of you giving us, not what we want, we ain't even close to what we want, but can you satiate our, you know, um, our, ap our appetite? Right. Can, can, can we get some water because we've been dehydrated for so long? Right. So that question, will this school board be a rubber stamp, doesn't even come from the right context. The context is, will this school board be a partner with those who need it the most? So the first question is, will this school board listen to the special education community, especially the families that have been denied their legal right to education? And then if they do listen, here's the next question, how will they fund it? How will they prioritize implementation of fill in the blank? Mm -hmm. Those are the questions. And, the, and that's what's in that third compartment that I'm living in because we can't afford to keep getting this wrong. Okay, and so here's the reality of if you move away from a rubber stamp uh, a school board to you, uh, a democratic, if you will, school board, a school board with a mind of its own. It's not one mind. It's how many people on the school board? Seven. It's seven they, minds. They're only and, They don't represent themselves on that school board. They represent the city of Chicago and the needs of our young people on that school board. So who are they a rubber stamp to then? So if we're going to go with that, are they a rubber stamp for the families in Roseland? Right. Are they a rubber stamp for the families in McKinley Park? Yeah. Like, who are they a rubber stamp for? Well, the point I was going to go on to make was that. Uh, so I'm looking at the list right now. I have this list, right? My cheat sheet right here. You can see it, although you can't read it because the camera is so bad. But anyway, uh, one of the school board members, Mary Fahey Hughes, I, I know her. She used to call me up all the time. Special ed. Uh, problems with the school system, Chicago public schools and how they're cutting the special ed program and they're not getting the funding they needed in a democratic school board. It's a possibility that. And I'm throwing this out as an example of Mary Fahey Hughes cannot convince her partners on the school board to go along with her 
with fully funding special ed or funding special ed more. There could be a debate and a discussion and she could quote unquote lose in that. And that's what I'm saying is we're like this on this precipice of something new, Stacey. We're heading toward an elected school board. And the reality is when you school board with each members representing different like communities within the larger whole could have different opinions, not support each other on all these opinions. We're heading in an uncharted area. One ex- the most glaring example of all the school boards that I can remember uh, since Daly took charge is they all went along, talk about a rubber stamp, with the TIF funding. They willingly gave up money to the city that could have been spent in the classroom for the TIF program. And they all went along with it. They were literal rubber stamps on that, Stacy. So will this school board be any different on that matter? I don't know. I have to, have to wait and see. And, and so will you. And I hope they will. You follow what I'm saying? I hope they will show some initiative here. Go ahead. Well, when you use the word democracy, I think that the people who are on the school board now have behaved in coalition where the idea is to create consensus, create a space to build consensus. That's what I think we have to pay attention to. So when they say that they're going to move the meeting date in order to accommodate the greatest amount of participation, makes sense to me when they say that they're going to be an out in the community holding these meetings, makes sense to me. So this idea of building consensus, this idea of being in coalition, it doesn't mean you always win the debate. It does mean that you create a space for people to participate in the debate and have a fair shot at um, getting their voice heard and perhaps landing the policy that they want to see implemented in their spaces. That is what the fight is about. Now, any individual neighborhood, group, person, whatever, like, quote, winning their idea all the time, I don't know where that happens, right? It doesn't even, like, I lose to, you know, three people in my household all the time. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, like, this idea that there is just a, a, um, a presumption that one voice is the only voice that's just, that's not even how Brandon, Brandon Johnson becomes mayor of Chicago. It, it just isn't. It's not a part of any reality that most of us um, who have had a hand in creating this new ecosystem have participated in. You know, organizing is a lot of work. And a lot of that work, you know, relates back to the relationship building, the discussions, the debate. Um, the idea making, the brainstorming, and all of that is tough work. Now, again, living in this third compartment of the newness of our world, you also have to add a timeline into that, right? And you have to then layer that timeline with the tremendous amount of need that we have, that we're experiencing in the city. And then we have to layer that with the tremendous amount of um, deficit in the city. Like, Rom, like, cleared the way to, not just cleared the way, he destroyed every other safety net that could have been here. Like, 
you don't have anywhere to house people because you don't have public housing. Like that is the conversation that no one's having out loud. It's not, it's a lot of things. Again, complexity. But let's just drill down on something real small and simple. Ain't no public housing in Chicago. If Jeanette Taylor can get a call from the CHA when her children are adults, that she is now off the waiting list, that's telling you everything that you need to know about the deficit that this city is in. You have people who are writing letters to the editor asking for schools to be closed and their kids don't even go to a public school, right? These are the deficits in which, you know, our government is working. And so look, we got, my, my granny used to say, um, you got a long way to go in a short time to get there. And, and that is quintessentially what we're dealing with here in Chicago. Like, you know, right now they're showing all of our lovely black children on television right now who are in the South Loop. And they're saying, see, 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 I told you, I told you. And, you know, I keep looking at that as both a mother and an educator. And as I continue to see children push against young people, pardon me, as I continue to see young people push up against the no's in this city, you got to take the no away. It's not a no, it's what do you want and what can we do together? And people don't recognize that as an ethic in politics, what we recognize in Chicago as an ethic in politics is us saying, lock them up, throw away the key, zero tolerance. Or some like piecemeal press release solution that is in half of a neighborhood somewhere that no one is reflecting on or keeping data on because it really doesn't exist. That's the way in which we have encountered these dilemmas or these problems, you know, previously, like invest Southwest, where? You, you know what I'm saying? Or Rom and his Chatham initiative. I live in Chatham. Where? You know, and I'm and I'm not trying to say that people don't have good intention. I'm saying it is difficult to make systemic change systematically in places that have been deprived of justice and resources for generations. So the timeline and the complexity of that work is different than it would be anywhere else in this world. So this idea that Mayor Johnson is providing integrity and humanity to black children in this city, that's gonna take a while for this, black, this city to absorb. Because what he's saying is that their children, most of the people watching those videos don't see children in that video. They see mayhem. They see something to punish. They see something to um, charge. They don't see children. What he's organizing and leading is this idea that you got to say yes to something. You can't keep telling people no. Because when you tell them no and you close off opportunity, you get a city that has like people living in police stations because you don't have a social safety net. When you tell people no, you get people walking up and down these streets talking to themselves without any like um, relief because there's no medicine and there's no doctor because there's no clinic. 
or you get spaces that have empty schools that are deteriorating right in the middle of a neighborhood where actual people are living. A long way to go and a short time to get there, which is why this third compartment for Chicago, not just for our movement, is going to be critical because you can't keep calling Black children criminals and expecting to be safe. You got to call Black children in and give them a school that is fully funded, that has trauma services because this is a violent city, because this is a violent society, because this entire nation was founded upon violence. So stop trying to make children responsible for the underpinnings of this nation. You know, people were here <laughs> when people discovered it. <laughs> and then they brought people over here to work for free. All of that violence. So those black children in the South Loop, that ain't violence. That's something else. All right. Uh, we have a long way to go and a short time to get there. We've run out of time on this particular leg of the journey. And uh, so we're going to have to close it there. That was a good riff to close it, Stacey. Uh, thank you so much. In the old days, before she was president of the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, she'd come on the show once a month. We cut a deal every month. I would like finish the conversation oh, out there and cut so that deal. So every other month now. Okay. <laughs> calling me out in front of people and I... So every other month now. Every other month. Every other month it's going to be. And I now figured out a system with Stacey Davis Gates. And I'm going to, I'm not going to give away that system, but I now understand how the operation works. Uh, so I want to uh, thank a certain person behind the scenes who probably I will not name, but thank you very much for helping set this up. Certain person behind the scenes who did a great job. Outstanding job. Stacey, a blast talking to you as always. And uh, I wish you could come tonight. I know you probably have other things, but if by any chance uh, you're anywhere near 44 or 45 uh, South King Drive, stop on in and say hi to uh, all the people there who will be talking schools and politics, school politics, et cetera. All right. Well, just invite me to come do one with you on Maya so I can be on stage with you now. Well, okay. Uh, well, wow. I am just so I'm going to let this cat out of the bag. That's the cat coming out of the bag. <laughs> I am in the midst of heated negotiations. Let's see if I've got a response yet. No, I haven't got a response yet. Um, uh, from the comm team, the aforementioned comm team with Mayor Johnson to have a show where Mayor Johnson's on stage. Uh, that would be, uh, yeah. what's that? He's his own entity now. I know, I know, I know. That, Silly you know, me. Oh, so weird. <laughs> And it is, it is the weirdest thing in the world. Like, I am so proud and so like, yo, dude, you're the mayor. <laughs> it is, it is, it's like a metaverse. No, it is a metaverse. And it's really weird because uh, like Stacy was just riffing about that show at uh, UIC where the rubber stamps are. Uh, and I remember that's like the first time I saw Brandon in action. He was, he was the uh, MC at this show. I'm like, God damn, this guy is good. I knew him as he used to work at the New City Y. So I knew him as a, this guy, you know what I mean? And I'm like, wow, you're good on the mic. And now I like I go to the library and his pictures in the lobby and you go to a hair and his pictures. I'm like, what the hell, man? Hey, and he gets haircuts and he wears suits and like and he's like he's he's mayor oral it's it is 
It is the metaverse. No, it is. And you ever notice, I love the pictures. Like he's always posing for pictures because he's the mayor. So everybody wants their picture with him. And he has this way. I've seen so many pictures, Mayor Johnson pictures. He has this way of posing, uh, which he's figured out, which I got to give him credit for figuring it out. But his hands are always, if you ever notice, take a look at the next Mayor Johnson. He always has but he claps them right yes <laughs> and he has a hug that he gives people too it's so amazing i'm like yo you be thinking about this stuff huh <laughs> hey he's about ready to cut a deal with the bears that's a whole other story hey i think uh, i'm a publicly owned team well that's i mean we've been already that argument uh yeah that that's not gonna happen but if you're gonna bring it to chicago mayor johnson put it on the south side put it uh at south works at 83rd in the lake uh that we've been talking about that on the show for over two months now don't don't waste our tax dollars putting it in a neighborhood that doesn't need that investment if you follow what i'm saying put it where it could really have a boost in my yeah. humble opinion or I'm lobbying for youth sports. Do you know how much of a racket that is? Do you know how many parents pay thousands of dollars every single weekend with youth sports? And why is in Chicago, like the suburbs benefit from that racket, from soccer to AU basketball to softball to baseball. Like, yo, like youth sports because you know we're no longer funding them in public schools apparently but you know the the whole club sport youth sports travel sport phenomena i mean like people are talking professional sports but this whole contrast with professional sports with youth sports like you got so many more of them and you got so many more games you have you know a multitude of seasons you have both genders Yo, that's something to be thought about, too, with this. You know, I know people are sentimental about the Bears. I am, too. Super Bowl shuffle. You know, I'm I'm right there with most Chicagoans. I'm not even fronting on that. And think about how the public would be so in love with the Bears if they were actually ours. Wow. Well, like the Green Bay Packers are owned by the public. Are in those games. Because they belong to them. Like the rabid fan. I mean, I'm just saying it out loud. Of course, someone's going to like poo-poo that. But I don't know. Like, look, I'm concentrating on probably just a couple of things. I want youth sports in schools. Um, I want track teams. I want volleyball teams. I want soccer teams, baseball teams. I want them at elementary schools that feed high schools. I want kids singing and dancing and playing instruments. I want school to not be a place of test only. Well, you're definitely preaching to the choir. Uh, I, I, I'm with you 100%. I think we've lost our minds when it comes to youth sports in this country. You're in, you, you're learning it firsthand because your children now are of age. Yeah. So I went through that. My kids are grown. And uh, the best youth sports teams are the ones we had at the New City Y, which is skeet, organizing it. And believe it or not, the Chicago Public Schools got to give a shout out. Uh, they let we had some great fun on the north side flag football, track, cross country, basketball, double touch, jump roping. Man, we did it all. And um, I think we've lost our way. We really have, uh, when it comes to sports, especially with that. 
especially with that that like anyone who remembers their school experiences no one is talking about algebra or a standardized test literally no one yeah uh, and, and and you know in track i cannot don't get me stuck we track is the greatest get those kids running man oh my lord I can go on and on. I love as a track coach. All right, Stacy, I'm going to hold back because I could just start going down uh, the nostalgic road and uh, you got things to do and I shouldn't make you sit there and listen to this old man talk about the good old days, which really weren't that good, by the way. Uh, but uh, they were, we had a lot of fun doing them. You used to wear that shirt when you were having that fun back in the old days. <laughs> Bring it all around. I forgot about the shirt. I was so I was just such a good conversation. I've had confidence again. And now all of a sudden I wanted <laughs> this shirt. I'm getting the shirt off. I hope we take a snip out of this so some people can see the shirt. I am definitely not wearing it tonight, ladies and gentlemen. That's for sure. You should uh, know. <laughs> oh, the exhibit A. Oh my God, Ben, where'd you get that shirt? Uh all right, Stacy, get have a great day. Thank you for being on the show. And yeah, every other month I'm gonna cut a deal with you. All right. It's cut. If the deal is cut, all right. It works. It works. All right. That's Stacey Davis Gates. I also want to thank producer Chris for doing an outstanding job. Hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more, all at chicagoreader.com. Follow the Ben Jarofsky show on Instagram at Benny J show and like, and subscribe to the Ben Jarofsky show podcast on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.